Have you had that moment when you feel like nobody is going to help you out? Today's guest had that moment more than once and hear what he did. Welcome to Blair Radio, where every brand can be heard. Now, the voice behind the mic, James Shannon. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 23 of the Blair Radio Start Your Business and Be Heard podcast. First, I want to wish everyone a happy Memorial Day and please be safe today. And a special thanks to those that have served and continue to serve our country. If this is your first time listening, then welcome. This is a good spot. When I first came across today's guest, he made me want to create another podcast, thus the birth of Conversations with James Shannon, Success After Tragedy. And boy, what a story we have today. I, I had already planned on, on doing that other podcast, but today's guest, he, he, he put the stamp on it. His story is truly amazing, but I, I, I do want to warn you. Just take caution. There is a part of his story that explains two violent incidents that he witnessed as a child. But it's important that these these stories are shared so you can see how he came from nothing to be the great father, great husband and great businessman that he is today. But he didn't chase his passion. In fact, he says it's wrong for us to chase our passion. I don't want to hold y'all up any longer. Please enjoy this interview listen this is powerful this is amazing everyone has a story today's story comes from an entrepreneur who has owned over 20 companies in real estate transportation convenience stores gas stations just a lot from jerrybrazy.com jerry thank you for agreeing to have a conversation with me today absolutely james thanks for having me on hey i'm just glad that you're here are you able to tell us how much money do you make today yeah, I've done, uh, uh, we do about $14 million somewhere in there on a yearly basis. Uh, and like I said, over the last 20, well, one or two odd years, uh, well, we got to be coming up on about $500 million in revenue. Wow. Wow. That is a lot, especially because of where you came from. How, how much money did your family have when you were young? No, I come from uh, abject poverty. So I have I have eight brothers and sisters. Uh, my parents had six kids when they were 22 years old, if you can imagine. Wow. And, yeah. So my older brothers and sisters are less than a year apart, the six of them. So my mother had a zero-year-old at 22 years old and a five-year-old, six kids. And then seven years later, they had me and didn't want me to be an only child. So I have a little brother and a little sister. You know, I, I was stealing food as a as a eight, nine year old with my little brother, who's 20 months younger than I am. How was that growing up in a home with nine kids? You know, it's uh, you're, you're pretty independent for sure, particularly when you uh, grew up like we did. So, it, you know, uh, the term latchkey kid is uh, is a perfect example for me because my, my mother worked uh, was a full time waitress. Uh, and so there was really nobody to watch us. And so we kind of, you know, made our own way. And, uh, but the, the reality there is, you know, when I was six, seven, eight years old, I was taking multiple public transportations across town and going wherever I wanted to. And like I said, my brother and I worked out, uh, <laughs> the best stores to hit to, uh, to, to get food. And so when you grow up that way, you know, it's, it's empowering as you get older. And again, when you're a kid, I would not. I don't really. I didn't really realize I was poor till you're 
12 or 13, you know, until right. you can kind of compare what other people are doing. Other than that, you're just living your life. And you were doing this with your little brother? Yeah, my little brother is, uh, is uh, well, I, I'm sorry, he's 20, November is his birthday. He's 22 months younger than I am, my little brother. Yeah, so he and I were uh, two peas in a pod for years. That's a lot to be doing at such a young age, but you're right. I too grew up with nothing, but I thought we had everything until I realized, you know, when I got older, what being poor actually was. And I know also as a kid, you saw people get killed once when you were 15 and then the last one in your early twenties. What was that like? What did it do to you? How did it make you feel? When you grow up just for myself, I'm very analytical. Now, I don't know if I was created this way or I became this way. But I'm very unemotional and I'm very analytical because with all of that, with all of the killings that that I saw and the suicides that went on, there's also inordinate amount of violence. And so I don't want to say you become used to it, but you do. You become used to seeing those sorts of things. And I'll give you an example. I was in a park. A bunch of kids, school had just let out. And the ones of us that were street kids kind of recognized that there was a hit coming because this is in the middle of the uh in the middle of the crack epidemic in the 80s. Mm. Uh, and I watched the two guys walk up on this other guy and turn him. The front guy turns him and the other guy popped him twice in the back of the head with a 22. And it, just a side note, get too descriptive here. But, you know, I can remember in my head what's the clearest thing I remember is just kind of as the blood came out of his head, it slowed down as his heart slowed down. So I just thought, you know, that's kind of interesting. And then some of the kids freak out. And the, those of us that are street kids, we know we got to, I always joke, terrible thing to joke about i suppose but uh you know we got to go the cops are coming so you got to go because you don't want to be any part of any of that particularly if you're going to have to live on the street so when you've lived through that and you've you've experienced all of that more than one time it kind of is a way of life i hate to say that that's reality but you know i'm not traumatized by it i don't have dreams about it or any of those sorts of things it's just part of growing up for me because that was normal for you guys right yeah. Yeah. I mean, you saw it all of the time. And like I said, this was in the height of the crack epidemic. So, uh, you know, there was just shootings all the time in the neighborhood and some of them happened in front of you and some of them, you know, you heard. So it was more than just two. You saw this on a, a regular basis with the, the killings and the suicides all throughout your teenage years. Yeah, that's uh, I'll tell you another story. I had two guys. Uh, we were playing pool in a big pool hall and I'm sitting two tables over watching. It's two thirty in the morning. And I'm 15 years old. That gives you some idea of of, uh, of what kind of trouble I was. Yeah. And I'm sitting on the rail and these guys are arguing and one guy's racks because they're playing for money and the guy on the other end of the table picks the cue ball up and throws it at him as he's bent over the table as hard as he could and i'll bet james if he threw that ball a hundred times he couldn't have hit him as cleanly as he did right in the center of his forehead mm. and it just lit his forehead up and he stumbled back and i think what killed him was he fell back as hard as he could and he hit his head on the table behind him well boom onto the ground he's dead and of course then you know the rule. You got to go, and so as soon as the uh, as soon as you see anything like that, the whole place shuts down and everybody runs out because we all know it's two thirty in the morning. If you're hanging out at a pool hall two thirty in the morning and somebody gets killed or there's a fight, you got to get out quick because the cops are coming. You just don't want to get rolled up in any of that. Yeah, that's crazy how it becomes not about the well being of the person that just got hurt or just died, but we got to get away because the police are coming in and we don't want to get any trouble. Correct. Yeah, there was never any. Uh, 
It is a, I mean, it's, it's the law of the jungle, you know, and look, I have three kids now and I'm best friends with them. And, you know, they're all graduated from high school and going to college and all of that. And so I've been married for 20 plus years. And so I, you know, I kind of got through all of that and I look back on it now and I go, man, you know, how is that possible that you can be almost flippant about growing up like that? But I'll give you a story about what's gotten me to my success that I think will answer your question also. I was 14 or 15 years old and I got rolled outside of a, a shopping mall uh, at a bus stop. Rolled, for anybody that doesn't know, is I got robbed and I got robbed by four guys. And they put it to me pretty good. And then as I laid unconscious, they rolled me underneath the bus stop. And so I'm, you know, I'm underneath mm. the bench. And so I wake up. This is in the middle of the 80s, a very different time than it is today. And I wake up and I get on this bus and I have two buses to get home and I have to transfer and I pass out, you know, in front of a, on a tree at a park uh, as I'm transferring. And then I get off my bus here in Portland. I live in Portland, Oregon, and I have about a two mile walk home off of the bus. And I can tell you, I could take you to it right now. I don't drive by it a single time without mentioning to my wife, that's the spot right there. My nose had been broken and the top half of it, if we were to look at my nose, I have a kind of a bump on the side of my nose because the top half of my nose had been broken. It had separated down the middle. And so I was holding it because I could feel that bone open and I was holding it shut and I was standing there and I was bleeding. And I was beaten down. Both my eyes are just completely pitch black. And I said to myself, and I remember this very clearly, I had an epiphany. No one's going to help me. Either I'm going to help myself and I'm going to do for myself or this is just going to continue. And that means that if in order for me to help myself, I have to take responsibility for everything. So everything going forward is my fault because I'm going to control it. So even if it means getting rolled by guys you know, out in front of a shopping mall, somehow that's my fault. Was I where I was supposed to be? Was I doing something I wasn't supposed to do? And if I had to credit anything to my success, I would put a significant portion of that on that mindset, which is everything's my fault. So you can't hurt my feelings. You know, you can make a mistake. I've had people make mistakes on my behalf that cost me $100,000, believe it or not. Wow. Uh, and, you know, you catch it after 18 months and you're like, okay, my fault. I should have had better programs in place. I should have had better processes. I shouldn't have let them steal from me the way that they did or make this mistake and not bill the way that we did. And so you go and you fix it. And you'd be very introspective about it and you self-assess what you could do differently. And does the employee need to be fired or just retrained? And, you know, you just go through that process. And so then I don't ever hate a, an employee for something that they did. I just take it all myself, say it's my responsibility, train as I need to going forward. But that goes all the way back to 14, 15 years old, holding my nose. Now, just kind of an aside, which is a funny part of the story, I went home because there's nobody to help me. So I knew I'm by myself. I, I, I knew that. And as a 14 and 15 year old, that was the epiphany I had. And I sat at home for the next three days and held my nose shut until the bone stopped separating. That's how I fixed it. What about the hospital? Oh, no hospital. No, man. <laughs> wow. There's no, there's no hospitals for, for a myriad of reasons. Uh, yeah, but you don't go. You don't go to the hospital. That wasn't even an option. You know, hospitals were for rich kids. You know, honestly, though, since you said that, and I don't know that I've ever thought about this this way before. I don't think I even thought about going to the hospital. Right. So it wasn't like that was an option, but I'm not going to go. I don't think I even thought about going to the hospital. It just wasn't what what you do, so it didn't come across your mind because that's not that's not what you guys did in your neighborhood or people that were street kids, right? Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, you just, any authority whatsoever, you steered as 
as far away from it as you can, I suppose. And then growing up as a poor kid, you know, I never, there was no dentists or doctors or doctor appointments or, or any of that. I bought my first meal. I got my first job at 11 years old in a restaurant washing dishes. I paid taxes, believe it or not, as an 11 year old. At 11? At 11 years old. That's right. And I've never not had a job since, and I've never missed a day of work. I'm 51 years old. So that I bought myself my first meal at a restaurant as an 11 year old. That's the first time I ever ate out was, was the one that I bought myself. And so you just, the, the independence that you have combined with the, you know, you're leery of anybody in authority combined with, you know, you live on the street. So everyone's trying to get at you that you just kind of grow, you know, you just grow this independence that it's, it's hard to describe. It it makes sense because you said earlier how you're holding your nose and you knew that nobody was going to help. So it's like, all these authority figures, you guys aren't there to help me. So I don't want to interact with you because you're just going to ask me questions. So I think that's, I, I could be wrong, but I think it sounds like that's what the mentality is, is that I can only help myself. You know, at 11, you had to get your own job and feed yourself. So you've always had to help yourself and you don't need the help from anybody else. And we always hear that when you grow up in that life, you're stuck. There's no way out, but you got out. So what what, what changes did you make? I know you had that thought or you knew that everything is your fault, but what did you actually do to get out of that life? So, and and that's a great question. I appreciate that question because the whole reason that I'm going on podcasts and I have my own podcast, the Jerry Brazy podcast, I'm always talking about what's possible and how people can get out. And I'm the example of people that can, that grew up like that. And I think today, even when I was a kid and even more so today, you know, society and social media makes it sound to you, the people in charge, the politicians, that you have no chance, right? You have to listen to them and that's your only way out. And the American dream is dead. Right. Uh, and, and, and nothing. And I live, eat and breathe a business and there's just nothing further away from the truth for me specifically. So I had that epiphany at 15 years old and at 11, I started going to work. And at 11, when I was 12, I took a job. I was, wor- I was working as an 11 year old at a, at a local restaurant. At 12, I took a job at International House of Pancakes, washing dishes at six o'clock in the morning on Saturday and Sunday because they let me work two days and they paid me 10 cents more. And so I learned over the years, I probably had 25 jobs and every job I gave a two week notice. Very few jobs did I ever not get promoted at. Because I never cared about what anyone else was doing. And, and really, I never cared about myself. I cared about the work. If, you, if I had a job, I was going to work that job. And I'll do your job, James. And I'll do my job. And I'll do the next guy's job. And not complain about it one bit. Because I'm just happy to work. Because for me, work meant food. And even today, for me, work means food. And so where that really, as that took hold as a very young man, jump forward to I'm 17 years old. I'm living in a flop house in Northwest Portland in downtown on Skid Row, 25 bucks a week. Hookers and heroin addicts were my neighbors. And I remember getting up and I would go to work as a 17 year old because I knew I had to go to work if I was going to eat. And then I would come home and you know, you're trying not to get robbed when you leave, particularly when you come back because it's at night. And so then you have that life. But then I'd go to my warehouse job or whatever the job was that I had and I would earn my money. And I knew for the day, I'm good. You know, I've, I've earned that money. So that work ethic, which is really a cliche, and I, I wish it wasn't because we hear that all the time. My work ethic combined with my lack of really caring what anyone else thinks. I do twice the work he does. I should get twice the pay. Nope. I never thought that. I'll do all of, you can pay him twice as much and I'll do your job and his job because ultimately, James, my 
benefit is, or the benefit that I'm going to get from that attitude is going to surpass whatever it is I was hoping to get. It always will. It might take a week. It might take a month, a year. It might take a decade. But that attitude, in my experience, having had 10,000 employees and crawled out from where I was to where I am, and I know 40 business owners and I know 25 millionaires, if I was to pick out the one thing among the whole group, not every person has that, but that's really the traits that help you on your trip towards success. No guarantee. Obviously, there's never a guarantee, but uh, it's certainly going to improve your chances. There's a lot of people that don't do half of that. They go to work, they do the bare minimum, if that, and then they go home and wait for their check. So I applaud that. And I think that it, it makes sense. You, you do the extra work and then you get the extra rewards in, in the end. So what ended up being your first business? So when I was 22 or three years old, I took a job driving. And this is another story along the lines of, of how do you get success and how you earn that success. So I'm 22 years old. I take a job driving and I enjoyed the job. It, it was fun. And after about eight months, I figured out that the dispatcher they had wasn't very good. And I kind of have a mind for that sort of thing. And so I went to the owner and I said very politely, here's what I want to do. You have a dispatcher. She's not very good. I believe you're paying her forty, forty-five thousand dollars $45,000 a year. Now, let me under- let me make clear. I can't even be- imagine $45,000 a year uh, <laughs> as a 22. I didn't even know what I'd do with that because I knew exactly how to live on $10 an hour. Right? I knew exactly where the money went to live on 10 bucks an hour and give me a little bit extra money to go eat Taco Bell. And I could make that last forever. So forty-five grand, I couldn't even think about. But I went to her and I said, hey, this is what I want to do. I'll do that job, which was just about the hardest job you can imagine, dispatching 500 orders a day with uh, you know, paper and having to fill it out and talk to everybody. And you're just handling this whole nightmare for 10 hours straight. I said, I'll do that for 10 bucks an hour. But at the end of six months, if I do the job, you'll give me the job, you'll give me the job and pay me that wage. And sure enough, uh, I helped run that company till I was 28 years old. And that, and, and what I learned from doing that, and we ran that company to a hundred employees from 30 and 5 million bucks from a million and a half bucks. And that was me sitting there helping run this business and investing in myself and going to her and saying, don't give me something. Let me earn something from you. I'm willing to sacrifice in the short term. I'm going to work a thousand times harder than what you're paying me for. But the benefit to me is going to be the experience and I'm going to be able to do something with that. So that when an opportunity came along to start a new company, I had a group of investors come after me when I was 28 years old and start a company, I was able to jump at it. And that was the first company was a, was a, a courier messenger transportation company. So that was just for the experience. It wasn't something that you had a passion for or... No, no. And that's that that's you're you're hitting all the right questions. <laughs> well done. Uh, credit to you. I if there's anything I want anybody to hear me from my perspective, and this is my experience and appreciate what my experience is. It's it's fairly vast. The harm that we are doing to society today is telling people who are trying to get out and get ahead that they need to chase what they love and chase their passion is wrong. That's a mistake. Don't chase your passion. Really? My passion was cars, right? I wanted cars when I was a kid. I wanted fancy cars. Now I have a big car collection right now, but it was it was something that I got from somewhere that I from something that I wanted. And so what I did is I took advantage of every opportunity, which is what I say at the end of my podcast. I say my kind of my sign off is to remember everyone. Opportunities are everywhere. You just have to go get them. And the problem with following your passion or doing what you love is, let's say your thing's flowers. 
and you're into flowers. Well, your head's down while you're trying to make a living at flowers and 20 opportunities might walk by you and you don't have the opportunity to take advantage of those. I did. I didn't care what I did as long as I, I got ahead. Didn't care what I did as long as I made money. I was poor. I drank powdered milk. I hated all of that. And I wanted out of that. And anything I thought I could make money at, like the 20 jobs that I had, anything I thought I could make money at, I would do. So for me, and I don't know, and I should say this also, of the 40-odd business owners that I know and the 20-odd millionaires that I know, none of them do for a living what they're passionate about. What they do is they work passionately so that they can go follow their passions. So for me, that's, like I said, cars and playing pool. Those are the two things I love to do. So if I go play in a pool tournament, I can get up and I can go play in a pool tournament because my work affords me the ability to go do that now that I'm 20 plus years into it. And I, I just don't know any successful people that do what they love as a living. I know many, many successful people who make a living so they can do what they love. Interesting. It's Be true. Because like you said, we, we've been taught for years, forever, to go chase and do what you love and you're going to enjoy it. And that's how you're going to be the best at doing whatever your passion is. But I never thought about make the money so you can do what you're passionate about so you can do what, what you love. Yeah, I think that that is, uh, uh, and, and I want to be emphatic here, this is just my opinion. But as, as you can tell from where I was to where I am and the experiences that I've had and the people that I've met, my backup for that statement is fairly vast. My experience for that statement is fairly vast. And again, I've owned, as you said in the in the start, in I, anything I thought I could make. You think I wanted to own gas stations? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? I've had gas stations, convenience stores, car washes. I mean, I build houses. I've built lots for houses. I've developed subdivisions. I've had rental properties. I mean, anything. I had a woodworking company for a while. I mean, you name it. If I thought I could make money doing it, I was going to try and do it. I didn't always make money. And sometimes I did make money, but it was all about being able to go and do the things that I wanted to do by taking advantage of opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. You are proof. That's actually why I wanted to start out, you know, talking about where you came from, because there's a lot of people that are in that same position. I wanted them to see or understand here. That's not the end of your life. Something else that we always hear is when starting a business, everybody should have a mentor. And I think everybody should have a mentor, whether it's somebody that you look up to or somebody that you may know. What are your thoughts? Did you have a mentor? So I had two mentors in my life. I'll tell you both stories really quick. One was when I was in the seventh grade, my sister died. Yeah, my, my, I hate telling my story because it's just when, when I was in the seventh grade, when I was 13 years old, my sister died. And six months wow. later, I went blind in my right eye. I got a virus that ate my retina in my right eye. So my sister died on her 21st birthday. Uh, and six months later, I go blind in one eye. Well, my parents, they freaked out, and moved to Montana. I'm growing up in the city, right? In the inner city. And they moved to somewhere in the country. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I'll just stay here and be on my own. And I was 14. And my seventh grade teacher that I was just introduced to that year was also a youth pastor. And with barely even knowing me, he took me in and let me live at their house for a school year. So with his wife, he had two daughters that were five or five and six years younger than I was. And he took me in. And what that did for me is that it let me see how a real family works. Right. I just had this big mess of a family, right. uh, you know, just kids going everywhere and nothing but trouble. I saw what what an intact family could look like. And he played catch with me and took me to sporting events. We went on a vacation 
We went to Disneyland in an L.A. Dodger game. I'm a Dodger fan to this day because of that. You know, I, I don't even know if I knew what a vacation was, to be honest with you. And so I met that guy. Now, I ran my welcome out in about nine months, and they sent me packing, and I deserved every bit of it. But for that brief episode, I met somebody that just changed my trajectory enough that 20 years later, it manifested itself. And 10 years later, at 28 years old, I was you know, starting to mature enough for that lesson that I didn't even know I learned to take hold. And then as at 28 years old, I went out and started this company, like I said. And when I was 30, I got introduced to a CEO group and a chairman that was a former Fortune 500 CEO. Uh, he died at 86 last year, and I was still going to lunch with him once a month right up until he died. And 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 here's what I'll say about a mentor. So yes, I agree you should have one. And and it can be just, you know, a mentor can be somebody you trust to give you advice. But here's what I want people to hear when it comes to mentors. You go to the internet, the internet's full of people that are going to coach you. The internet's full of people that are going to mentor you, right? You find all kinds of people that think they know what they're talking about because they read a book. Don't do that. Find somebody who's done that. Find somebody who's been there and has done that and can give you the real life experience because until you've lived it, you, you, there's no way for me, you can be the smartest person coming out of business school. I don't want you if you're going to come in to run a business. I'm going to find somebody that's been working the whole time that has that experience of work because the school can teach you whatever they want to teach you, but it is nothing like the real world. You do a, you do a business plan, I guarantee you the one thing about every business plan has in common is it's going to blow up. It won't be correct. Right, something's going to come at you from left field, and right. you have to fix it. That is why mentors are so important, and a good mentor. And here's one more thing I'll tell you: a mentor, whatever one you guys find, he or she should piss you off. Hmm. So if that mentor makes you feel good and is nothing there but provides support, that's not who you want because you need somebody telling you straight up what reality is and being honest with you. That was the one I had. This Fortune 500 man, he was a mean old curmudgeon, this dude. And he did not hold back one bit. And he used to just let me have it. And I loved it because it you know, wasn't going to hurt my feelings. I wanted to know what it is that I didn't know. And the, this guy that has a thousand times more experience than I did was crucial to my success. And he was brutal, like old school brutal. I like that because it reminds me of some of the jobs that I had. They'll be nice and they'll fluff it and always tell me all the things that I'm doing good. Well, I'm like, well, tell me what I'm doing bad because that's the only way that I'm going to improve. It's so hard doing that, too, because people have a very, I mean, part of that path to success is I always say, worry about what you don't know, not what you know. What And this goes contrary. This is <laughs> This is like the follow your passion thing. I go against the grain on that. Only thing I worry about is what I don't do well, because what I do well takes care of itself. And so I worry about what I don't do well, but I have two things going for me. I have a huge ego, which is very important, I think. That's not a bad... Small egos are the ones that get hurt. Big egos can't be hurt. So you can tell me anything. It's not going to hurt my feelings. And then I'm humble. I don't forget where I came from. And that combination right there, I think, has made me very powerful when it comes to chasing the things... Uh, that I want to go after. And if you can master that and not worry about, you know, selfishly what you're getting, but you can try to always get, I mean, you're going to be well on your way. So like you said, if the guy's telling you that you're doing something well, that makes you feel good that, you know, you go home and you tell your girlfriend, your dad, whatever, Hey, I had a good day and this is what I did. I always ask my kids, what didn't you do? what you do wrong? How did your day go that you did wrong? And now they're all toughened up and 
and uh, and you can't hurt their feelings now. And the world we live in today is one about feelings, and business is a ruthless game. Uh, life is a ruthless game, and the, the less your feelings get hurt and the more you can sit and take it and learn, the better you're going to be. Do you think you're this way because of your past and how you grew up? Oh, without a doubt, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I, I think that I am who I am in spite of where I come from, not because of it is what I've always said as, as I was a younger guy. But as I've gotten older, without a doubt, growing up the way that I did helped me get where I am. There's, there's just no two ways around it. And the, op, or the, uh, the experiences that I've had, because I worked the way that I did, I was able to learn so much from so many different sources because I, did, I never thought somebody was taking advantage of me. I never thought that I wasn't paid enough. I never thought any of those things. If, if, if I had a job that paid me more, I would give two-week notice. I would give them the opportunity to pay me more. And if they wouldn't, that's great. I just moved on to somewhere else. I mean, I learned more for the nine months I worked at McDonald's when I was 16 years old. I used procedures that I learned at McDonald's today in my businesses. Really? Yes, that I'd used when I was 16 years old because they've got it down to a science, right? And everything's de detailed. And, and, and I mean, you can walk in there and essentially do almost any job with a minimal amount of training. That is so valuable as a business if you have any employees at all because that's one of your biggest expenses is training. And, you know, you want them people to go well because hiring has a significant cost associated with it. So imagine that, paying attention. For nine months, I worked at McDonald's when I was, I left that job to go work at Safeway because they'd pay me a quarter more to be a box boy or to be a, a, a bag boy. And so I did that job, you know, whatever I could do, but I learned, I paid attention along every step. I didn't know specifically that I was learning, you know, because you're 16 years old, but the lessons took because I was always paying attention. Wow. And I see why you had 25 jobs. You know, if somebody give you an extra dime recorder, you're going to leave in and go take that job. Critical to success is is not being scared. Probably more than any, if you ask me, Jerry, what's the one thing that I need to get started to help me be successful, I will tell you, you can't be scared. So if that means going and starting a business, you can't be scared. If that means going and asking for a raise, you can't be scared. If that, you know, you can't be scared of going and finding out where you stand with your employer, with your school, whatever your thing is that, that you deem to be successful or to be success, you can't be scared. You got to go. You, you can't do any of the other steps if you're scared because you won't do it. And I and, and, and growing up the way I did, you know, I, I'm just not scared because what can life do to me that hasn't already been done? So you said, and I'm sorry about, about your sister. And then afterwards, um, your parents moved in Montana. You moved in with his family. You were there for less than a year. And then you were put out. But you didn't say where you went. Were you on the streets or? Yes. Yeah. You were homeless. So I, I was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was homeless on set on multiple occasions. Jerry, you're, you're, okay. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, then your parents move. My parents move back. Mm -hmm. You move it, 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 as it turns out that, you know, the whole restaurant thing took a took a dump as it does when you move to small towns like that. Uh, and, you know, I lived there till I was 17. So from 15 to 17, maybe somewhere in there, 16 to 17. Uh, and then that was it. And then I didn't see my parents or any of my family for the most part for a decade, because here's the other thing, James. I think you have to separate yourself from any of those people around you that are going to hold you back. And I had the benefit of having brothers and sisters who were from seven to 12 years older than me. So when I'm 15, 16, and again, I'm paying attention as much as I can, and I see 
that they all got pregnant as teenagers, uh, that they went to jail, the drugs, you know, every issue that, that, you're, that you would expect based on my story is the one that happened to us, uh, to them, I should say. And I was like, you know, that's not for me. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never, I don't drink. I've never done a drug. And I grew up with it all around me, but I was smart enough to say, now I see what that does. That doesn't make sense. I'm going to steer clear of that. And then again, being the person that I am, I never fell into that peer pressure uh, and did it just because people said, you know, to do it. The cigarette pack said it's going to make me sick or it might kill me. I was like, well, that's not worth it. I'll go do something else, no matter how cool that looks. And so that decision making that I that I did throughout my life was critical to me getting where I am and being able to see other people in terms of my brothers, my older brothers and sisters and how they behaved and acted told me, now yeah, you don't want any part of that. So in my case, it meant having kids when I was, I got married and had kids, you know, at 28 years old, after I was able to kind of mature my way out of where I had come from, I'd have been an abysmal father if I got married at 20 years old. Can I ask, how is your relationship with your family now? Uh, My parents are both 82 years old and I have taken care of them for, oh, since they were in their mid sixties. Uh, and so they retired, if you will, and they retired from my company and I take care of them and my dad will go do stuff for me every now and then. And, and, uh, and we have a great relationship and that's the other thing too. You know, it's been 40 years, so they're not the same people they were all those years ago. And again, much like how I work uh, or how I've always worked and not cared what other people did, regardless of how I feel about my parents or might have felt, I have three kids. And I grew up without any grandparents. I never met my grandparents. I, ne- I maybe met an aunt or an uncle, cousins. You know, I, I just don't know who anybody is because you never travel to see people. They all lived in different states. And so I was not going to raise my kids without grandparents because I knew how important that was. So regardless of how I felt, particularly when I was younger, about my parents, I, I wasn't going to let that get in the way of my kids having grandparents. You just got to manage it a little bit, make sure everything's going the way that you want it to. And that's been critical. That's been critical to my children's success as they have grandma and grandpa to talk to. That's awesome. Are, are your children part of your business too? Uh, yeah, my son, my oldest son is 23 uh, and he works for me. And then my other, my youngest son just graduated. And so he's going to, uh, he's working to get into the military. He wants to go in the army. And then my daughter goes to college and they all go run and do things for me and have helped out over the years. Awesome. Awesome. Sound like a great family. Um, and I know you have all these businesses. So do you just have the, the one now? And, and what is it? No. So I have a transportation company now. And then I have uh, I have about 125 employees. Uh, and then I have a development. I have one development left, 23 lots. Uh, that I'm doing that I'll probably build the lots and build the houses. But, you know, the current state of the world today, everything's uh, everything's in flux. Uh, yeah. And then I have an investment side for real estate. Awesome. Do you have any advice for people that are living the same life that you had as a child? And they they probably feel like they can't get out. This is it. This is their life. What can you tell them? Don't listen. Here's the thing. I said I had to get away from everybody for that 10-year period and become somebody different. And and you have to make, whether it be starting a business, whether it be breaking off from family, whether it be breaking off from your friends, you have to make that decision of what you're going to do to affect change. And so if you're able to make that decision at the same time, 
the critical thing for everybody that's listening is you have to take responsibility for everything yourself. And that's the hardest thing in the world to do. Imagine, James, uh, that anything that your mother did to you uh, that's the reason why you're not talking to her is your fault. That's the way that I viewed my relationship with my parents. That's the way I view my relationship with everybody. If something happens, it's my fault. And so if something happens in my business, it's my fault. If it's my career, it's my fault. At the job, it's my fault. But what do we do? We always point to the other person. It's easy to point to the other person, right? The, 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 the boss screwed me. The principal screwed me. My mom screwed me. My friend screwed me. Somebody always said, it can't possibly be my fault. Well, guess what, people? There is power in it being your fault. That, that is my superpower. That's what makes me Superman is that, A, I think I can do anything. B, I'm not scared of anything. And C, I take responsibility for everything. Yeah, great tips. It may be kind of hard for me to do, but I think... I need to listen because you again you're, you're proof in and coming from zero to, to something and yeah it's amazing and is this the type of stuff that you cover on your podcast? Yeah, so this is what we talk about all the time on the Jerry Brazy podcast. And what I would say to you about that, and I'm glad you said that's so hard for you to do. What I'm talking about there is 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 very difficult and it's not easy whatsoever. But what I say is, if that's what you're aspiring to. You have to do it in steps. Everything's done in steps. And so you have to, you know, if, if today is step one and you're just a one getting started down this path uh, and you're a kid living on the street, what incremental thing can you do to change that that improves your life somewhat? So that makes you a two. Go to work every day for a week, right? You're used to taking a I'm always sick on Mondays because of a hard weekend and, you know, all of those things. Go to work for a week or a month. Uh, and then you go, well, good Lord, I went to work for a month. And so then you go from a two to a three. And all of a sudden, you're a three and you're going to work for six months. And not only that, but you got a little bit of a raise because you've been showing up every time. And then you got a part-time job working at night for four hours a day. And then you go from a three to a four. Well, when you're a four, you look back and you go, how the hell did I ever make it as a one? What a loser I was as a one. And pretty soon, the fours become easier and you're a five and you're a six. And pretty soon, you're operating, I think, at a level that you never could conceive of when you were a one. But you can't go from a one to a seven. You can't go from a one to an eight. You can't listen to a YouTube video that's going to inspire you. And the next morning, you're going to wake up and you're going to be Superman doing all the things that I'm talking about. That's just not how it works. You have to put in the time. But appreciate the little things. Appreciate the little incremental improvements uh, and just continue to push to try to make them. Because if you try to do all of this at one time or some of what I've said has, has rang with anybody, you, you just can't drop what you're doing and all of a sudden start do this. It takes years i love that jerry this has been amazing one of my favorites easily uh, oh um, good that's nice thank you <laughs> no thank you um and i, I know you have your website jerrybridgie.com the uh, your podcast twitter facebook can you tell the people how they can find you or where they can find you yeah absolutely in fact if they want to i just opened up a new facebook group uh, the Successful Mindset. You can find me on Facebook at Jerry Brazy, but The Successful Mindset is the group. It's brand new, just a couple of weeks old. And that is really where you can get direct access to me and to, to other people. Uh, what I hope to build it into is a group that, that you can get this kind of advice. And as I say, provide your own advice. You go, well, I'm, I make minimum wage and I'm working at Taco Bell. I'm 15 years old, 16 years old. What advice can I, can I give? You would be surprised. You would be surprised how, how somebody can help me, after everything that I've been through, learn a lesson that I had forgotten 
that I can be reminded about because the 16 or 18 year old that came in that doesn't think they have anything to uh, doesn't think they have anything to to add absolutely does. So the successful mindset is probably the best and easiest way to get access to me if you have questions. And then, of course, the Jerry Brazy website, jerrybrazy.com, and then uh, the Jerry Brazy podcast. We do about two a week, and I don't know how many we talk with uh, with other people, but it's, it's, it's current events. It's what's happening in life, and specifically, it's what's happening in business and then how to, how to get success. That's awesome. And they can still go to jerrybrazy.com slash link to see everything, right? That's correct. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Everything's there. All right. Great. I, I, I appreciate you so much. This has been amazing. And I, I thank you for your time. James, I appreciate it. Yeah, I had fun. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. Wow. Thank you, Jerry. What an amazing story of success. That man tells great stories. Be sure to check out his podcast and more about Jerry on his website. That's jerrybrazy.com, J-E-R-R-Y-B-R-A-Z-I-E.com. The only negative thing I could say about this episode is that Jerry is a Dodgers fan. Sorry, y'all. Anyway, you can get there from the show notes for this episode at blairradio.com slash EP23. And in the words of Jerry Brazy, opportunities are everywhere you just have to go get them so go get them y'all all right everybody do whatever you can to make noise online and be heard i will talk to y'all next week we have another good one for y'all thanks for listening to blair radio where we turn your online whispers into screams Learn more at theblairgroup.com. Until next time, be heard.